Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And uh, if you've been here for a month and you're like, who's this guy? Um, I took about a month off from preaching, which is actually a real blessing, hopefully not just for me, but for you too, um, because God uh, speaks to different people. And, and uh, I love our team that can step up and to preach, and, and it's so rich and deep. And so if you haven't heard, whether it's Chris or, or Mitchell or Andrew or others and preach, I want you to jump on the podcast and just get encouraged by that. That's really our heart, and we're preaching, communicating. Um, but excited, we had a baby girl four weeks ago, and so that's kind of a pastor excuse to get out of preaching for a little bit, take a break, and you wouldn't want me preaching sleep deprived. That would not have been good. So, but I did get some sleep last night, thanks to my amazing wife, so I'm good to go. All right. So, um, you know, before we jump in the message, just want to be clear again, today's Palm Sunday and the events of this week, we just really want you to dig deep into the scriptures. We encourage you guys to really read the whole Easter story, just talking about Jesus, his entry into Jerusalem and the events of that week. It's sobering, um, but it's so helpful for us to take time to go back to the gospel. So I would encourage you just in your time with God this week, in your devotional life, as you're reading the morning and whatever you're doing, just take time to read back through those passages there. Um, you can look at it, any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and kind of unpack the story but it just goes deeper. We want this to be meaningful again. We want to be able to recognize, yes, this is God's great rescue plan, and this is how I fit into it. So I encourage you to do that on Friday night. We actually have a good Friday service here at the church. It's going to be for an hour long, and so we want you to jump in and be part of that with us as we celebrate Jesus and, um, and, and, and really his sacrifice on the cross. And then Sunday morning is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. We get to celebrate Jesus that day. and It's going to be awesome. Um, and so what we'll be doing is having two services at normal times. And then afterwards, we'll be uh, uh, gathering together at Tanglewood Park just down the road in Bryan. At 1230, we'll be doing our barbecue, bounce house, Easter egg hunt, games, mud wrestling, whatever. I don't know about the mud wrestling, but <clears throat> it's going to be awesome. Uh, if you want to mud wrestle Mitchell, he's up for it. Okay, so, uh, no, but it's going to be a great time. I'd love for you to come. Please just bring a chair or a blanket or else you can just sit on the grass. That's great. Uh, but we would love for you to be there and eat some food with us and celebrate. So if you're in town, please come. Bring friends, bring family. If you leave, you're blessed. If you're just missing out on something that's better. So um, I can say that. All right. Because <clears throat> I've been part of our picnic. I've been part of your family gathering. I'm sure it's awesome. But all right. So um, we're going to jump into a new series uh, on, on the book of Romans, all right? So, so Romans is one of those lighthearted books where you just kind of glaze through it, and, um, and you just kind of pick up everything by just, no, just kidding. There's no cliff notes for Romans. Uh, if you have those, don't read them. So, um, but Romans is a really intense letter from a very intense person, right? Did you know that the Apostle Paul was a very intense guy? before he met Jesus and after he met Jesus, okay? And so he wrote this letter, but I want to give you a bit of a context here. Rome, of course, um, was the capital of the Roman Empire. Some estimate three to four million people lived at the time. It's about the size of Houston, but this is 2,000 years ago when our Earth's population was not that great, meaning it was one of the largest cities, if not the largest, in this time. So it was the center of economical, political, military, social, everything Roman, right? And so Paul's writing this letter back to the believers in Rome. So he's writing to Christians, of which some of them have a Jewish background, some of them have a Gentile background, meaning they were not Jews, they were of some other, uh, other ethnicity. And so he's writing to them. And, um, and as we're about to jump into Romans 1 here, I want you to know that, we, that, that as we've looked at this, we've titled this whole series The Gospel of Power. Because it is powerful. And why do we say that? Because if you look at Rome, Rome actually covered up to 2 million square miles. 
That's a lot. That's a big swath of land. In fact, they stretched all the way up to Great Britain, over to Jerusalem, down to Egypt, and taking up about two-thirds of Europe with them, Rome controlled and dominated. When Rome came in, it wasn't like, hey, you guys can all keep doing what you're doing. We're just going to, like, take some of your money. They literally came in and dominated the regions they were in. They controlled it militarily, politically, uh, 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 financially. They controlled it with, with, with the religion. They, they implemented their whole Roman pagan god system and their temples and their sports and their coliseums. Again, the Romans came and they literally took over, seized control. You had to learn Latin. You had to do everything else. They came and conquered. And so at the time when Paul's writing this, you have to understand that in terms of power, Rome exemplified earthly power. And I'm not so sure there has been a greater, more dominant empire in world history than Rome. Right? I mean, in the midst of all of this, think about this. In the midst of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire in human history, God decides to send his son Jesus, inserts him right in the midst of the Roman Empire in its heyday. Why? Because he wanted to say there's actually a heavenly power that's greater than the earthly power. And there's a heavenly solution that's very different than an earthly solution. And so he brought Jesus into the midst. And Jesus came very humble, very different than the Roman way. So here's Paul writing this letter to the, to, to the believers in Rome. And if you don't know about Paul, he started out his life as a very religious person, meaning he was um, very uh, 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 accredited, if you will. He, in our day, he'd have all the PhDs, be really smart in the right social class, and he was one of the high-ranking Pharisees, meaning he was a religious Jewish leader, but where they got off is they started believing that religion could save them, and they started going by all these different rituals and traditions and laws, and they missed the whole point, thinking they can earn their righteousness, earn their way to right standing with God, and all the while they were missing it. So here's Paul, and here's about these people following Jesus, and he goes on a terror, destroying them, imprisoning them, beating people, trying to literally tear apart this kind of early post-Jesus movement thing of these Christians, right? And so here's Paul stepping in, and this is what he's doing. On his road to Damascus, God literally steps in, Jesus comes, and he blinds him, knocks him off his horse, down on the ground, and a few days later, he ends up in Damascus. He gets told, hey, by the way, you've been persecuting Jesus not just this ideal, you need to repent. Paul repents, comes clean, Holy Spirit comes upon him. Next thing you know, God takes him for a few years and he goes and re-educates him. Can I just say that when God wrecks shop on you and you turn, you need a re-education because you've been living a way with a certain mindsets and habits and lifestyle that are not godly, that are not in his ways. Therefore, he has to rewire you, right? So Paul got rewired. And Paul comes back still intense, but just intense for the right reasons, right? So that's the writer of this letter. So we're going to jump into Romans 1, 16 through 17. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a theme verse for this entire series for us. Romans 1, 16, 17, talking about this gospel, the power of God for salvation. Now, if you're ashamed of some, something, then what are you, right? Like, if, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're not ashamed of something, then what's the opposite of that? Well, I dug back into my eighth grade English verbiage of antonyms and, um, and did a little research and realized that the antonyms for ashamed would be confident, glad, joyful. 
So what's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm actually confident, and I'm glad, and I'm joyful about this gospel that has the power to save anybody. In this letter, he's going to unpack why he's so confident and joyful about this. Because the gospel, what does it do? It actually provides right standing. It provides you to be in a righteous place, which he knows from his previous life, he never could obtain by all of his good works and nice words and ideas and sticking to these little religious creeds along the way. None of that was going to get him in right standing, although he thought it was. He was deceived. So here's Paul saying, hey, guess what? Righteousness from God is only obtained from God, which means God has to give it because you're not in control of God, are you? You don't manipulate God. You don't tell God what to do. He tells you what to do, right? He's the creator. You're the created, right? He existed before you, right? And so God's the one up here. We're the ones like, wow, okay, God, tell me what to do. Not, God, I'm going to do this, and I'll inform you about it, right? That's not Christianity if that's the one you ascribe to. God, I like, here's my list. God's not Santa, right? <clears throat> he doesn't need your wish list. He needs you to submit and obey him, and then he'll figure out what's best for you, right? Okay, so that's God. So salvation <laughs> has come, right? Salvation has come, right? But why is salvation needed? Why do we need the saving power in our lives? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 18, right? Romans 1:18. For the wrath of God, everybody say wrath. wrath. Man, isn't that like a fun word? I know you guys use it all the time. When was the last time you posted something on social media with wrath in it? Probably never done that, have you? But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. By the way, women, you're not removed from that. You're included, okay? <laughs> Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And this is a big statement. Paul's saying the reason why you need this gospel is because you guys have been suppressing the truth, and therefore your wickedness and unrighteousness comes out. Now, the wrath of God, this refers to God's personal anger against sin. Anger against sin. That's the wrath of God. That's why it's coming. Now, wouldn't you agree that we want our planet purged of evil? Right? Like, we don't want evil. We don't want death. We don't want people hating on people. We don't want that. We don't want murders or stealing or wars. And so it's good, right, that God wants to eradicate this evil from our planet, right? But if God actually eradicated all the evil from our planet, guess what? We'd all be eradicated. We wouldn't be here. If he just wiped us out, if he said, everyone who's done wrong, I'm going to justly make sure to take care of them because my wrath's coming against them because they've sinned, then we're all done for, right? Every human in history except for Jesus, right? Because he didn't sin. But our sin incurs, it brings on, it attracts the wrath of God. <clears throat> now, I want you to think of something in the last year be the last month, a story you've heard that made you really angry. A story you've heard about how someone treated someone else. Could be something in the news. Could be the recent school shooting. Could be racial tensions. It could be abuse. It could be of deception of political leaders. It could be something just made your blood. You're just like, I cannot believe if I got my hands on that person. I mean, just where it made you just kind of, ooh, where you cringe, right? Even to the point where maybe you can't sleep for a good. Like, that bad, evil story. Think about that in your mind. Now, that story, imagine that story 24-7, all over the earth, and every generation. That's God. God has to see his creation destroying itself. God has been witnessing 
from the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. I mean, their first children, Cain and Abel, literally murder. He has witnessed it from the beginning. He has seen us as people destroy and hurt and hate and kill and deceive and abuse one another for thousands of years, for thousands of generations. He's had to see it all. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a little white lie. We're talking about the, just the, the overwhelming grossness and weight of sin throughout history, which none of us can bear, by the way. If you think you can, then why don't you just try to go for 24 hours absorbing evil and negative stories about people's lives being ruined, and you will find yourself in a deep, dark place. Because we can't handle that. It destroys us. Sin destroys us. It kills us. This is the wrath of God is coming against it because in the the Greek, right, this word suppress, like suppress the truth, it's like holding down. That's what it means. Kind of like chains in a prison, right? You're in prison, you're being held down. The wrath of God pours out on people because they attempt to imprison the truth with their wicked lives. Now, why do people suppress the truth? Why do people suppress the truth? Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. That's startling. I'm going to read it again. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. People suppress the truth because it's obvious to them. It's plain to us. Let's take it a step further. What has God shown to the people of this earth to reveal himself? Come up with a list of different things you think. This is called a couple. How about the world? Creation bears witness to God through its beauty, complexity, and design. I don't care how smart we are, how smart we think, or what scientific breakthroughs people come up with, you will always be playing catch-up to God. You will never fully unpack God's creation design. It'll be another four billion years, and it ain't going to happen. Because it is so complex, it is so deep, it is so intricate, we actually don't even have the capabilities or mind to actually understand all of it. Have you ever seen a sunrise? Sunset? What about just in the last week? I found myself driving last week, and I'm seeing the trees that are all starting to have leaves again. And I thought to myself, how do they know that? It was on different streets, different varieties. Oaks and... And these kind of, these magnolias and all, it's like, all the trees must be on some sort of, you know, uh, a dialed-in system. Hey, it's warm, cold's gone, ready, Sunday, let's go. Squeeze the leaves out, right? <laughs> let's go, it's time, hey, photosynthesis, let's go. Let's, it's re- we're ready, right? I mean, don't they have, some, they have some sort of social media thing to hit each other up? Hey, it's same time, same place, let's start growing leaves. <laughs> no! That is mind-blowing. How does that happen? And it happens every year. I'm like, explain that to me. 
Explain a little baby that I'm holding four weeks ago in the hospital that didn't exist nine months ago. That's healthy and whole and crying. We're looking at it like, wow, you literally do kind of look like me. I mean, (laughs) this is incredible. Not only did God design this baby, but then somehow put features in this baby that actually resemble me. Right? And this baby is nothing like any other human in history, which I'm going to go and say at least 20 billion people have been on the planet, which means God at least has 20 billion plus designs he's already created. Pletcher's got twins. You ever met his twins? You ever played with his twins? They are not the same. Now, they look very similar, and I still have a hard time telling the difference. But do not be deceived, people. They are very different boys, right? They are so, but they're twins. I mean, come on, they're the same. Twins, they are not the same. God made every one of us different. He created us. Now, let me go a step further, right? How can Paul say here that they're without excuse? Well, let's read on. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Whoa. They knew God. He's talking about all people, by the way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let me pause just a second. He's not talking about these people met Jesus at his house for dinner and got to hear about heaven and Jesus. He's talking about everybody who didn't actually hear about Jesus. He's talking about pre-Jesus. Uh-oh. He's saying that every person on the planet in human history, somehow in God's wiring, because God created us, right? Genesis 1 2, it says, hey, we're creating his image. We are his image bearers. God designed us, his imprints on us. Okay, so God put in our DNA and in our soul and our mind, our being, something to acknowledge the fact that there's a creator, there's a God. Something is out there. I can see it through nature, through beauty, through people, through other conversations, and just intuitively feel things that God's put in me because I'm created by him. He's my creator. Therefore, there's a longing in my soul that is longing to be known and to know the creator. I may not have words for it, and I may be part of a different tribe or culture or part of the planet where I express it differently, but there's a longing for some sort of connection here, which is why throughout history, when you show up to another nation or a tribe, when missionaries would go, they would discover these people already had a faith in something. When you go, it's not like people are like, no, we don't believe in anything. They actually already believe in it. Now, who told them to believe in something? Who told this tribe in Papua New Guinea, and these guys in India, and these guys in Mongolia, and these guys in America, these guys in Brazil, how come they all believe something? Why is it they're drawn to, like, nature? They're drawn to, ah, oh, there's, and, there's, and there's right and wrong. Why, why, how is that? Because God put it in us. He put the light in us to be drawn to him. And what happens is sin, in its nature forms sin, it covers, it distorts, it darkens. That's what sin does. That's its goal, to distort the truth, to hurt, to, to deceive, right, to kill. That's, that's what sin is. And so it makes sense then when someone has a glimmer of light connected with God, sin comes in and starts saying, oh, no, that's not real. Uh-uh, he's not there for you. Or someone else gets abused and thinking, well, just all men must be abusive. I'm not abusive. 
So everyone in the room that's scared to get married one day, if you're a woman and you've been mistreated by men, I want to say God can heal you in that place. And by the way, all men are not abusive. But some have been, and therefore they then distort the truth that actually God said it's good for man and woman to not be alone. But you've been deceived because of pain and sin to believe the lie that it's better to just live a whole single life or to not do marriage the way that God asked us to do it, designed to do it, because you've been hurt and sins distorted that truth. But the truth is God's plan is actually really good when both parties ascribe to it. Paul continues on, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It may be difficult for us to understand how people could make a statue or a pile of rocks a God that they would worship. But... um. You know, it didn't start there. It, it didn't start with someone waking up one day and saying, you know, I'm going to make a little carved image. Make a little G.I. Joe kind of looking dude, and I'll kind of bow to him every day and light some candles by him. Would you kind of laugh at that? We're like, that's kind of silly, right? I don't know if you've been to other nations, but in different nations, like when I went to Peru years ago, we went to Peru, and it's interesting, above the, above the actual doorway, above the header of the door, entering every single home we went to in these, in these rural villages in Peru, um, what you had was you had a little, a little carved image over here um, and a little carved image over here. And then what you did, you also had then two cups, okay? One cup was filled with wine or beer and one was filled with water. And the goal was that when evil spirits come to your house, that the good ones will drink water and be nice to you and that the bad ones will get drunk and avoid you. That's a very common thought in Peruvian culture, right? So they're actually very aware of spiritual things. They're very spiritual. They are very aware. And they know what it's like when they see darkness and light. But can I tell you, that was something that was put inside of them as a people, right? And then along the way, sin comes and distorts things. And so here they are as a people. They have these carved images, but it didn't start like that. It started with what? Suppressing the truth. And what Paul was saying earlier is that um, we're without excuse. Why? Because it's already been revealed to us. Like the nature of God and some way, shape, or form has actually been revealed to every person in history, which means they're not without excuse. No person is actually completely ignorant of God. That's, what's, that's what Paul's writing. No one's ignorant throughout history from any culture. Ignorant of God. I'm not saying Jesus, his son, in this story. I'm talking about God the Father. That there's something in creation they're saying, wow, God, he's made himself known to them. See, it starts with suppressing the truth. Then it moves on to dishonoring God. We suppress the truth, we didn't dishonor God with our lifestyle, with our words. And then what we end up doing is then we exchange his glory, right? We exchange the glory of God for something else. Then that leads us to then, when we exchange God's glory, now there's a void. We're made to worship something. So then also now we start worshiping idols. So we start making up different things to worship idols. And then that moves into, later on in Romans 1, Paul's gonna end with saying, it moves into where we actually ignore God Ignore that he exists, ignore that he's around, and that ultimately leads to us approving evil. Hey, good job. I'm glad you murdered them. Hey, good job. I'm glad you're abusing her. That's great. Let's watch that for fun. That's how you get to that point. It starts with suppressing the truth. So let's talk about America, right? We got some good things. We got some bad things going on, right? 
we're licensing marijuana because, oh, that's going to be helpful for people because they need that. Hey, we're, um, in a lot of ways, many people are still supportive of abortions. Hey, that's cool. If the mom doesn't want to have the baby, it should be her choice, right? Let's just kill the baby, right? Or that's why we have the whole marriage still now. Now we've got marriage distorted. It's like anyone can marry anyone. It's all about love anyways, isn't it? No, it's about God's original design. It's not about love, right? Love doesn't keep a marriage together, just so you know if you're not married. A covenant does. My wife and I had a pretty good spat this weekend. You should have been there. Wasn't a lot of love happening, but there's a covenant happening. You're angry. I'm angry. We're going to resolve it, and I am committed to you because I made a covenant to you and before God. I don't have to like you right now. All you guys are like, is this what marriage is about? Yeah, it's real. But if you push through, you actually are married 50 years later. But if you bow out, I don't want to argue. This wasn't the way it's supposed to be. This is what Disney told me. They lied. Yes, they lied to you. Right? But when you suppress the truth, it takes you down this road where every step on this list, you get a little farther away from God. And then one day you wake up and you're thinking, how is it that I'm actually approving of this evil? Guys, it may have started with, um, well, I just, you know, I voted against that. But you didn't do anything about it. Or it may have been, well, it's not a big deal. It's just kind of left it alone. Or, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's cool. I can, I can kind of um, uh, str- straddle the line here. A uh, little bit good, a little bit bad. I'm good, right? My bad always, my good, and good, I'm, right? No. Righteousness is obtained by faith alone. You know, I was praying, just asking God, Lord, what are our idols? What are the carved images that we have? Um, I feel like God highlighted three areas for us as a church. Us. I'm not talking about them. Us. The, the first one is our body image. You, know, you may not be worshiping a pile of rocks. You may be worshiping body image. Either you love or you hate your body. Um, I just want to say that God created you, and he made you the way he made you. And um, if you would stop hating yourself and actually acknowledge that he actually loves you, for who you are, the way he made you, whatever gifts and talents and makeup and size you are and all that sort of stuff, he made you that way. And what he's looking for is you to actually say thank you, God, and start owning that, you'll feel free. But as long as you try to be someone else you're not, you'll always be missing it. And that'll lead you to suppressing the truth, dishonoring God, exchanging glory, and it's going to destroy your life. If you've got to deal with body image, you need to deal with that before God because he says, I think you're beautiful. Everyone else may say you're not beautiful, but who cares? I don't care, right? It's like, you shouldn't care. You say, God, no, you love me. That's great. And I'm not going to allow everyone else's things or society or culture to dictate what you say about me. Body image is an idol for us, guys. What about diet, nutrition? Now, I want us to be healthy people. But sadly, I have friends and family that worship nutrition and diet. They worship it. Um, here's what I'd say. You, you know that maybe you're worshiping it if... Um, uh, if you say, hey, I can never eat a bite of a hamburger or I, 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 can't ever, I can't ever have a popsicle because there's too much sugar in that. And I would just say, if that's you, you probably have an idol in your life, which means, which says, I am in control of my health and my longevity. God's not in control of that, so I'm going to do everything I can to just take control of that and seize it. I'm going to be an extremist. Last I checked, God decides when you live and die. Um, does anyone have a grandparent in the room that's in their 80s, 70s? I do, okay. You want to be grandparents that smoke pipes, cigarettes, 
You know, grandparents that drink six to seven sodas a day. Grandparents that only ate fried food. Grew up in a time where everything was in a can. Organic didn't exist. Um, and they're alive. I've got two of them right now. They're in their upper 80s. Um, what am I, what's, what's my point? If you make nutrition a diet, you're God. You'll live your whole life just trying to be in this place when actually you're not in control of anything. I don't need you to eat in grease for all the time. I also don't need you to be an extremist where you freak out when you see a friend take a bite of a candy bar and you think they're going to die. <laughs> right? But I know you're in the room. And those, listen, I'm from Austin. That's like the health capital of America. And so it's a pretty strong spirit there, to be quite honest. You go to Austin, it's a spiritual stronghold. It's your body, your health. That is their religion. The last one I feel like God gave us was social standing. That's an idol for some of us. Um, it could be on social media. It could be in your career. It could be in your friendship circles. It could be simply the fact that in your life group, someone invites you to an event and you get all bent out of shape about it. Or someone's friends with someone and you're not friends with them. Or that you didn't get invited to the wedding or the shower or that there's a road trip to happen without you. Or that you just wish you were friends with them or that you get hurt every time someone doesn't like you or connect with you about something, and so all of a sudden you go into self-pity mode. I just want to say that's, that, that's a god of, of, of social status. Um, you don't need to live in that place. Like, because God wants to be your friend. <laughs> and, and, and as a church, we should love each other no matter what the personalities are or whatever. And we should be okay with being different. You know, some of us need to have two friends, some need to have 20. That's okay. It doesn't make you right or wrong. And, and some of us just connect better with others, and, then, and that's fine. But, but to think that I'm going to live my life just trying to appease people all the time is exhausting. And it's an idol in our lives. Because, guys, with an idol, um, you end up worshiping it, you end up putting your trust in it. And, and that's the downfall for a lot of us, is you end up putting your trust and your hope in that thing instead of God. And God... You know, the Ten Commandments, the first two are about him. I don't want anything else before me. I'm it. No other gods before me. Nothing. That's where it started with the people of Israel. And that's where they got off first. Started making carved images, started believing in other things, started, let's put our faith in a king. This leader, oh, this guy's going to save us. All the while they missed it. No, I'm saving you. God's saving you. You can have great kings, but I ultimately am controlling all that. I want the band to come on up, and we're going to go and close today. Um, you go and stand, and our ministry leaders, our life group leaders, make your way up here if you would. But you know, today, guys, is a sobering message. Um, the wrath of God is real, and there's no way to escape it except through Jesus. And as Paul knows best, it's not by your righteous acts or good works or positive thoughts. <laughs> It's, it's by faith alone. In the very beginning of this sermon today, we said in Romans 1.16, it says, from faith for faith. It's faith, the only way you obtain righteousness is by God giving his righteous way to you. And you know the way that God chose to give his righteous way? He chose to give it away through his son being sacrificed on a cross and being risen from the dead. Because there's actually only one way to obtain the righteousness of God, and it's through his son, Jesus. And he said, there's no other way. There's no other way. So here's how we're going to end today. Um, if you're in the room and you've heard me share this today and you're thinking, you know what? The wrath of God is coming for me and I have no escape route. 
and I'm hearing about this Jesus, and he's the only way because Jesus said, I'm here to take the sins away from the world, but you've got to come to him. If you're here and you're saying, I need saving, and I've done a lot of horrible stuff, and I want to be rescued, and I don't want to live with that, and I know I've got to pay for it, and Jesus has paid for it for me, I want that. If that's you, we want to invite you to come up in just a moment. Come up to one of these guys and say, hey, I need Jesus. And they'll pray with you and walk you through it. I feel like for the majority of the room, God was kind of highlighting a, a scripture that he had given me back in January. We are at a pastor's retreat, just praying and worshiping, and um, the Lord kind of gave me this name, Jehoshaphat. He's in the Bible, and uh, he's one of the kings. And um, so I looked it up, and God highlighted these two verses specifically to me. And it felt like God was saying it for our church for this year as a whole. He said, he walked in the way of Asa, his father. It did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. He's summarizing Jehoshaphat's reign. Right before that, Jehoshaphat ruled for 35, or he started ruling at 35, but for 25 years he ruled. And I felt like God was speaking to me because I'm 35 years old. And that, in a way, he was saying, hey, you're 35, and if you guys aren't careful, there's going to be high places. You're going to do lots of good things for God, and it's going to feel really encouraging. There's going to be these high places, these idols that have been unattended to, that grow and fester, and God at the end is going to say, hey, you guys did good, but you didn't destroy the idols. You didn't let those go. You clung on to them, and you mixed them in with Christianity, which is not okay. So, guys, those three idols I listed out earlier, whether it's social standing, whether it's body image, whether it's diet, or it's something else God's highlighting, we're going to have a chance to come up here to the front, come up to one of these guys. It's not someone's taking us to come up here to the front, kneel before God, but to repent and come clean. And if you're, like, scared about doing that, don't be, because I'd much rather you do it here before people than wait around and hold on to it where one day it's too late before God. He wants you to deal with it now. Um, so I'm just going to pray for us. And the band's going to play. They're going to sing a song for the cross. And really, they're singing that because the only way to actually get rid of the idols in your life is by laying them at the feet of Jesus, allowing his blood to wash over them and cleanse you from them, set you free. And the only way to become righteous from being unrighteous and filthy is by coming to Jesus and saying, let me forgive you, let me wash over you. So wherever you're at this morning, be vulnerable, don't be hesitant. Let someone pray for you. Come on up. If you want to stay where you're at, that's great. But get before God and don't lose this moment to come clean and to ask the Father, what are the idols that I haven't taken down right now? So Lord Jesus, we just pray you come. Would you come and minister to us? Holy Spirit, we're inviting you. We need you. We need you to come and convict us of sin. We need you to come and call out the idols in our lives. We need you to come and humble us. We need you to come and say, you're not saved. You need saving. We need you to come and to, and to expose lies and places we've suppressed the truth or things we've exchanged for your, we've exchanged your glory for something lesser than or a place where we've ignored you, God. I don't know, but Lord, I pray would you come. Let us be a people set free that you would save us. You took on the high places. You destroyed those idols and you walked with me and you honored me. Come, Lord Jesus, minister to us, we pray.